everybody. I'm Zach Volante, host of the Death Comes Lifting podcast, as you may know. My program normally centers on some heavy metal and horror sides of life and all the artists behind it, but for the several past weeks, I've taken a detour to share insights from Pittsburgh short story writer Frank Schiffman. I met Frank through a mutual friend several months ago, and after talking with him, I found his outlook on life and personal adventures so passion-filled and inspiring, I wanted to share some of them with you, my audience. Everyone has an abundance of personal stories within them. Most are told in the flash of a moment, few are ever recorded. Intriguing stories usually spring for unusual situations. Mark Twain summed it up in this way. Truth is stranger than fiction, but it is because fiction is obliged to stick to the possibilities. Truth isn't. Frank Schiffman grew up in the east end of Pittsburgh. He graduated from Penn State and went on to build a successful 40-year career in sales and marketing working for mid-sized companies and Fortune 500 powerhouses. Through his stories, Frank pulls forward the roots, pathways, and lessons learned during his life's journeys with the hope to encourage others to reach within themselves and share their own adventures. Today, my friend Frank will be reading his latest story, My Brother's Keeper, as a, pl- as a part of our Out of Place series. Without further ado, Frank... Jimmy Hoffa, the most notorious labor leader of his time, was staring straight at me. He was not alone. There were other men beside him. I didn't recognize any of them. Jimmy's picture and theirs lined the walls of the International Teamsters office in downtown Pittsburgh. It was June 1975, and I was there to complete a membership application. The International Brotherhood of Teamsters had become a powerful labor union under Jimmy Hoffa's leadership, though he was no longer president of the union due to convictions on several felony counts. He remained a revered figure among its members. It was about I was about to appear on the scene as a card-carrying member that summer. Within a month, Mr. Hoffa would mysteriously and permanently disappear. This would be my second year working in the Pittsburgh produce yards. Joining the union was now mandatory. I was excited and amused at the same time. Working graveyard shift as a laborer was strange enough for a middle-class Jewish kid, but it was a good-paying job during my summer breaks from Penn State. Loading trucks and stacking crates had never figured into my life's ambition and experiencing the rigors of it ensured that it never would. I handed my completed application and check for the first month's dues to a woman behind the counter. In return, she handed me a white card with the Teamster's double horsehead insignia at the top. There was a space for my signature on the front. I signed it, opened my wallet, and placed the card inside a plastic sleeve. It was official. I was a member of Teamsters Local 250, the first and only in my family. When I showed the membership card to my best friend Dave, he looked confused. What the hell are you doing? It's crazy enough that you're loading trucks in the middle of the night. Now you've joined the Teamsters? 
you're turning into a real fruit. In fact, as long as you work there, I'm going to call you fruit. And true to his word, he did. The reactions among co-workers at Mize Jet Air Sales was the opposite. In their eyes, a rite of passage had occurred. I was more than just a college kid who worked alongside them in the summer. I was, now, their union brother. The union's got our backs, Donnie, the fork truck operator, said. They make sure we get a fair shake so the bosses don't take advantage of us. Jimmy Cal is union representative. You ever have a question about the union? Ask him. Jimmy Calajuri, a.k.a. Jimmy Cal, was a longtime employee at Mize Jet Air Sales. He was short in stature, five foot five at best, but projected himself as a figure of authority by offloading his responsibility onto others, especially the younger workers like me, even though he had no authority over us. My mentor, Sully, often referred to him as a blowhard. Yet, when it came to union matters, all looked up to Jimmy Cow. In his union role, Jimmy Cow was an important man. A new kid by the name of Timothy had joined the company shortly after I left to go back to school. He was stocky, muscular, and had shoulder-length blonde hair. I decided to give him the nickname Hercules. Everyone had one. For example, I, I was Igor, a name that Chico, the berry man, had bestowed upon me the summer before. In turn, Mike, the other college summer worker, and I had given Chico the nickname Lapper, because every time we walked into his berry room, he looked up, stuck out his tongue, and emit a weird noise by rapidly moving it back and forth. <laughs> Though the assignment of nicknames was not unusual, singing made-up company songs and reciting poetry, which I introduced the second year, was. The words to the Mighty Mouse cartoon theme song and the legendary Casey at Bat among others, were changed to suit our work environment. At first, I sung or recited these ditties alone. Before long, others gleefully joined in. A most unusual set of performers in the most unlikely of settings, with me as their band leader. Three weeks in, I was back to a routine. Up at 3 a.m., at work by 4, last to leave at noon. During the last hour of the day, I sat on a high-top stool in the front office using colored magic markers to prepare large inventory sheets. The owners would use them the following day to keep count of produce that moved in and out of stock. I began performing this task the previous, previous summer, unaware that this was the first thing the younger Mai's son was expected to do upon his arrival in the early morning. When the owner, Stan Mize, heard about my activity, he came down from the main office upstairs to thank me the next day. From that point on, he frequently stopped in while I worked on the boards. He asked me questions about my family, school, and aspirations. We became friends of a sort. When I was back at school, I wrote to him from time to time to let him know what I was doing and expressed my desire to return for the summer. In the spring, a letter arrived from him informing me that a spot was open any time I wanted to return. It was going to be a good summer. 
at least it appeared that way, until word filtered down that union negotiations over hourly labor rates had stalled, despite weeks of back-and-forth bargaining. Talk of a strike grew louder throughout the produce yards. Picket line teams were being organized. A date for a membership vote would soon be announced. What the hell, I thought? I don't want to strike. Walking a picket line seemed unimaginable. I was more than satisfied with my wage. The amusement I had felt about joining the Teamsters quickly turned to angst. I didn't have a dog in this fight, but I did have a voice in the form of a vote. My self-interest was struggling with my self-respect. How could I cast a vote against a strike when those around me appeared to be overwhelmingly in favor of it? Most of these men were full-time employees with families to support. If I stood in opposition, what would it matter? Little I speculated, yet I had to be true to my conscience. Days later, Jimmy Cow handed out a circular announcing that a meeting and secret ballot would be held the next day. Everyone around me began to talk about it, yet no one asked anyone how they would vote. It was understood. Well, understood, except for me and Mike. We were the summer college laborers, and although the vote would include all of the produce workers from companies throughout the yards, any opposition would call our loyalties into question. I needed a strategy to stop that from happening. A Machiavellian-style solution that would keep me in good stead, with both fellow workers and management, too. But how? I decided that I simply wouldn't vote. What's more, I'd let my decision be known. When Jimmy Cow took one of his morning breaks to light up a Parodi, I sidled up beside him. Jimmy, I've been struggling with this whole strike thing. Just isn't right for me to vote. I don't earn my living in the yards. It's a summer job. I'm just not going to vote. Jimmy pulled the Parodi cigar from his mouth and spit remnants of the tobacco left on his teeth onto the ground. This isn't how it works, kid. Everybody votes. You're a union man now. All union members have to take a stand. For or against, it doesn't matter. You pay dues, you vote. When everyone left that day, and I was filling out inventory boards, Stan walked into the office. I told him that I wouldn't be voting the next day. I explained to him why I just didn't think it was right. Stan's reply was much like Jimmy Cow's. I respect your thinking, but you have to vote. It's what collective bargaining is all about. Sometimes the owners and the union see eye to eye. Sometimes we don't. In this case, it might lead to a strike. If it does, it does. One way or another, we'll figure it out. Just vote. Both men were steadfast in their conviction. They were lying to encourage me to vote at odds based on their self-interests. Jimmy Cow most likely believed I would stand in solidarity with the union. Stan Mize may have believed that I would vote in opposition based on self-interest over conscience. When I left that afternoon, I fell back into a dilemma. This time, I had less than 24 hours to make up my mind. As the night sky slipped into morning, a steady rain began to fall. At 7 o'clock, Jimmy Cal told us the vote would take place inside the produce terminal building two blocks away at 10 a.m. Trucks came, picked up their loads, and left. 
Depleted pallets were stacked to one side. Full units rolled in their place. The floor was swept. Stacks straightened. All of these chores went on as usual, but the pace at which they took place felt slowed. Every man was in his mind. A vote to strike appeared imminent. Though a walkout would not be immediate, the union and management would meet one more time to see if a solution could be worked out. Still, the thought of an impasse would mean that the hands that lifted boxes and crates onto the back of trucks, hands that pushed dollies, steered forklifts, and pumped handjacks to move produce, would be put to the task of carrying picket signs. The only question would be, for how long? I was moving crates of cabbage when Mike came over to talk with me. He looked to each side before saying in a low voice, I don't want to strike. This is just a summer job, for Christ's sake. If I had known this, I wouldn't have taken this job. How are you going to vote? Mike, I don't want to strike either. But this isn't about us. It's about everyone here and others, some of whom we don't even know. Right now, do we, ha we have to vote on something that has a huge effect on their lives. I keep telling myself I shouldn't vote at all. Sure, Frank. But what are you going to say when one of these guys asks you how you voted? Any yes vote would be pinned on us either way. I mean, come on. We're the ones they would suspect first. I'll tell the truth, I said. At 9.45, Jimmy Cow called out, It's time to go! We left all together. At the end of the first block, dozens of men from Ayub's Melons, the Pittsburgh Banana Company, Consumers Produce, Klein's Tomatoes, and many more companies came into sight. They were walking toward us from the east and the west, along the cobblestone road known as Carson Street. The produce terminal was straight ahead. Workers greet, greeted each other, accompanied by laughs and slaps on the back. It was clear that these men shared a common bond. They were union brothers. I felt like an interloper. At the front entrance to the building, a man instructed us to pick up a pencil and a small slip of blank paper from the table beside him. Wooden school desks with writing surfaces were lined up inside. I sat down in one toward the back of the room. Hercules sat to one side of me, Mike to the other. Two men in suits were at the front of the room on a makeshift platform talking with Jimmy Cow. When it looked like everyone was in the building, Jimmy made his way to the podium. Take a seat and quit your yapping. We ain't got all day. Empty seats filled up quickly. Talking halted. All eyes beamed on Jimmy Cal and one of the men wearing a suit who was now standing beside him. Okay, listen up. Most of you guys know Bobby here, president of our local. And Jack behind me is the executive director of the bargaining committee. They've been negotiating with the bosses for several weeks. People have been talking about the possibility of a strike for a week now. Bobby's going to give it to us straight. Then we'll take a vote to accept or reject what our bosses are offering. So listen up to Bobby. Jimmy Cowell moved to one side, and Bobby took his place at the, stage, at the, t at the podium. Thanks, Jimmy, and thanks to all of you who make our Teamsters local strong. We are a true brotherhood, 
The room erupted in applause, with someone some men standing and pumping their fists. Bobby continued. For a month now, me and Jack have been meeting with management down here. We've put proposal after proposal on the table to increase your hourly wages. In the last go-round, we asked for 35 cents an hour increase and 10 cents per hour for each of the next two years. They've countered with 20 cents per hour the first year, then 5 cents for the second, and 10 cents for the third. We said it ain't good enough, but they insisted we present their offer to you guys for a vote. Jack and I think you deserve more. The union doesn't like it. I don't like it. But it's up to you. It's up to you. That's why we are here. So you can tell them what you think. Now I'll take questions before we vote. One man stood up and asked, if we reject their offer, do we have to go out on strike? No, Bobby answered. Not right away. We'll go back and let your bosses know that you have rejected their offer. They can break off talks at that point, which would mean we walk out. Or they can request that we sit down again and try and work something out. How long would that take, Bobby? shouted another man. Well, I can't say for sure, but they can't stall forever. No more than a week was what I would guess before we have to get back. Right, Jack? Jack nodded in, the, in agreement. Bobby moved away from the microphone and Jimmy Cow took over once more. It's time to vote. Jimmy held up his hands, a pencil in one and a piece of paper in the other. Each of you guys got a pencil and paper when you come in here. The instructions are simple enough for even you jamokes to follow. If you want to reject the boss's offer, Mark, then mark your slips, no. If you want to accept it right, yes. Fold a slip in half to cover up your vote. Then bring it up here and drop it in this box. Oh, and if I find out any of you voted to accept, I'll personally break your legs. He and a group of others roared with laughter. I stared down at the paper in front of me. Suddenly, a flash of clarity emerged from the recesses of my brain. Pencil to paper, I wrote, abstain. Folded it up, went to the front of the room, and dropped it in the box. My vote was the strategic solution I so de desperately sought. I had met my obligation as a union member to vote and didn't let Stan, Jimmy Cow, or myself down. Once all the votes were collected, Jack set up a flip chart stand. Jimmy began pulling out the pieces of paper, unfolding them, and calling out the votes, which Jack recorded with tally marks for all to see. No! 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 Yes! No! No! This went on for five minutes before Jimmy unfolded my vote. He stumbled to try and read it. Uh, uh, Bobby, help me out here. Oh, it says abstain. Means no vote, for or against, doesn't count. The vote continued. When it was over, the handful of yeses were drowned out by a sea of noes. 
The offer was officially rejected. Everyone returned to work. Back at Mize, Jimmy Cow came over to me. Don't care how you voted, kid. I just feel better if you tell me that you did. He had opened the door, and I was all too happy to walk through it. I was the one guy in the crowd that was easily identified. More importantly, I had a clean conscience. Jimmy Cow would know I didn't vote against him. Of course, I said. I was the guy that abstained. Jimmy Cow's eyebrows raised. You're a pretty smart college kid. <laughs> he smiled, patted me on the shoulder, and then put a fresh parody in his mouth before he turned and walked away, laughing. Epilogue. Within a week, management raised their offer by 10 cents per hour the first year and an additional 5 cents for each of the next two years. We returned to the terminal building where Bobby told us that the union thought it was a good deal. Another vote was taken. This time, I cast my vote yes, as did almost everyone else. Bold. Well... First of all, you have a future in voice acting, number one. <laughs> if the writing thing doesn't work out, we can just switch to animated features. Okay. But well, no, that was a good one, man. That was that was enjoyable. Yeah, um, I like that best because I, I knew you didn't know uh, that what was coming. Yeah, that was cool. I was, uh, as an audience member, I was I was into it more not knowing. So thanks for that. Good. And uh, so your reference to Jimmy Hoffa, uh, it's timely considering the Scorsese film that came out last year, The Irishman on Netflix, if no one's ever seen it, it's great. But I was particularly struck by the way the uh, men you worked with were so loyal to the Teamsters Union. So can you uh, shed a little more light on that? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to. Um, I, uh, I had never really encountered anyone in a union before. And uh, while I was working down in the produce yards, I really had to respect the fact that uh, all the men with whom I worked were really uh, dependent upon the union to guide them. Okay. They felt a they felt a very sincere loyalty and felt that the union did in fact represent them very well. Was that the only time you experienced that in your uh, career dealing with union people? Well, going on from there, um, no, and that's a fabulous question. Actually, yeah. uh, you know, I've worked for um, particularly for manufacturing companies okay. uh, that had uh, strong unions, particularly down in West Virginia. Uh, and chemical plant that okay. I worked for. And uh, also out on Neville Island, they had uh, for chemical workers out there when I was at Neville Chemical Company and also with PPG Industries. Um, but particularly the, the one area in which I recall the strongest would have been with PPG and the unions down in West Virginia um, because they had experienced some strikes and, and they um, could be very contentious, very, very contentious. This was... This was an interesting experience working in the produce yards. I'd say there was there was more of a, a gentlemanly attitude toward it okay. than uh, than I saw what would happen sometimes. Yeah, because down in the plants in West Virginia, sometimes the workers that would have to take over management would go in and, and take over the plant, and they would lock they'd be locked in there, and sometimes they could be locked in there for a full month, where they would sleep in there and everything. Holy it's shit! Pretty yeah, it's. So I did. That's an outstanding wow. question that I hadn't even thought you'd ask. But yes, I have. <laughs> yeah. I actually have. I've never, I've never had to go work okay. in the plant while there was a strike, um, which I, I consider very um, 
very fortunate because yeah, sure. a lot of those guys that did go in there, um, they got paid like, you know, two times, three times their salaries. Um, but it was a very miserable experience while they were in there. And, and not just from the work that they had to do that they weren't used to, but they literally had to uh, stake out offices, set up makeshift beds. I mean, it was... And wow. when they came out, despite whatever they made, um, they were miserable. They were very, they were beaten up. So, sure. yeah, I do have experience with that. That's pretty <laughs> cool, man. Side, yes. Yeah. Well, that was a good intro, intro to that then. But um, it didn't read as though, back to your story, that there was much animosity between the workers and the management when they were preparing for the strike. Is uh, Was that true? And that's a... That's a that's a really good point. Um, uh, the, the interesting thing, even the way that I had written the story and talked with the owner of the company at that time, um, they had a good relationship with the union. Uh, and you didn't really get the impression that either side was like taking a, a, a stand where there, where there would be a strike. Now, looking back on that, that's how I see it today. Okay. At the time I was down there, I was struck by the fact that um, no one was saying anything negative about the other. So, so the guys I work with, they, like in the story, they said, well, you know, they're just watching our backs to make sure that management didn't take advantage of us. But they didn't say, um, well, we really, you know, these guys are taking advantage of us or they're doing things and we want our rightful share. Uh, they actually had a very good relationship with management. And there was a really strong line as to who was loading trucks and who was taking orders. I bet. But there was a lot of respect down there. It was really, it was a healthy environment. That seems pretty like an enriching thing to see, you know? It was healthy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so I laughed uh, thinking of you singing and reciting poetry in the middle of a workplace like that. Uh, do you remember anything specifically? From yeah, that? it's, uh, um, you know, you, this new story in general um, we had, we had taken a look at the Out of Place series. We had done the uh, very first one about going to work in the produce yards. And then we had done one about um, going down and getting a job uh, toward the third year of the produce yards. But I realized that in the middle of all of this was a very rich environment that dealt with this strike and also dealt with, as you had pointed out, the idea of uh, some of the interesting things that happen you know when you work in a place the first year you're kind of getting your feet settled in there and getting to know the people you're working with okay. and then the second year you know you're like a veteran like when you go to college and you're a freshman and then you go as a sophomore mm -hmm. very similar here so i had i had good strong relationships with these guys we you know we we knew each other well we knew what each other's responsibilities were but um, for me, it was sort of a sense of sanity okay. in, in bringing in things into the environment that were completely different right. and seeing, Zach, if, if I actually could get them to do some interesting things that they would never have done on their own. So, so singing songs and doing poetry um, was what I brought. I love it. And they did it. That's great. They did it. I love it. You're good for that, man. You're an eccentric dude. You can push people outside their comfort zones. Yeah. Like me. That's why we're here doing yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, maybe. So, that's right. Go, right? Yeah. I think that's pretty cool, man. So to talk about out of place, picturing you in Union Hall waiting to vote, what was going through your mind right there? 
Um, well, I can tell you this, Zach. Uh, I mean, again, I'm I'm coming from a, a kind of a different perspective in general coming into this this environment with um, with these men that uh, you know they get they get paid and then they'd go and they'd get their cash and um, on Fridays and so. Uh, for me, as we've talked in the past, the, the, this was far above minimum wage. And um, when I walked into that union hall, as I remember, and, and, and of course I did the best I could to, to express what they were asking for. Um, and I was kind of like, well, we asked for 35 cents and they offered 20 cents. And I was sitting there saying, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're going to go on strike for 15 cents an hour. You know, in my perspective, that was what it was. It was like, we're going to go on strike for 15 cents an hour. Really? Um, yeah, but, but, you know, again, when you go back and you think, well, I really don't know what 15 cents, I can't recall what 15 cents an hour was at that time, you know, or how they viewed it. But, you know, obviously, my perspectives were completely different. Sure. And I'm watching these guys in their and their um, there were antics as as I expressed, and Jimmy Cowell saying he's going to break people's legs <laughs> and laughing and looking around the room, and uh-huh. I'm sitting there with Hercules on one side and Mike on the other, which which was a metaphor even in and itself because here was the guy you know Hercules that was going to be down there. This meant a lot to Hercules, sure. to Mike. He was like, oh, I wish I would have taken another job. So, um, it was it was a real uh, interest. I was, I guess, not so much a metaphor, but a dichotomy. I was sitting in the middle of a dichotomy. Literally, yeah. Rich characters, man. I mean, this had to. Your experience in the produce yards of Pittsburgh had to have a huge impact on your life because this is the, if I'm not mistaken, third story. Yeah. You've written about it. So what what sparked that, and uh, how does it continue to influence you or impact your life? Um, I, I, as we just we, as we just talked about, um, I think the idea of uh, laborers, management, mm-hmm. um, unions. You know, your, your very first question about uh, had I experienced anything with unions? Yeah. So uh, my perspectives uh, may have been off, but they weren't completely foreign. I understood the idea of the union. I was a member of that union. I got to tell you that I I put that. Uh, I put that card in my wallet, and I was so proud to have that card. I I don't know where that card is today. I wish I could find that card. That'd be cool. Um, but uh, the fact that I could be at Penn State and I went off, you know, and worked um, at Ketchum or at PPG, I carried that card with me all the time. And when people would say to me, "Well, you don't necessarily have a perspective about this or that," I'd say, "Look, I was a teamster." Yeah. <laughs> so people look at me today, and they're like, "You were a teamster." Yeah, I went. I was a teamster. And um, very proud of the fact that I was the team. Star. I can tell, man. That's really cool. Yeah. That was a great story, man. Well, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share it with your audience. Of course. I love this series, man. I love where it's going. Yeah, I do too. And, um, you know, we've got, we've got plenty more whenever, whenever you want to do it. Just let me know. Okay. Any, anything else you want to add? Just thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to share it with everyone. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening, everybody. Cheers.